Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer, so I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello, and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, we are not. But we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Mm, 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 mm. We are. <laughs> wow. As I've mentioned, I know, I know. Sorry, I took it a little too far. No, it's never too far. But I was going to say, as I've mentioned previously, I've gotten like, I've come around and like now my skincare routine is like 20 steps. Whoa. <laughs> Quarantine has really done a done a number on me. Whoa. Yeah. I now like at night, I've got all sorts of things going on back on my face. Yeah, I've really come around. Um, wait, before we get into that, anyway, let's remind people that yes. we have a voicemail where you can leave us messages. You can also text us on this number. And Kate Spencer loves a text. 
I do. They're so casual and intimate. I just got a few like while I was making dinner and I was oh. like, hey, Kate, it's uh, me. I'm the one with like, how are you feeling about school? It's great. I love it. Text us. I get them. Text us. That number is 781-591-0390. We also still accept emails at forever35podcast at gmail.com. So if you want to shoot us an email, we would love one. Yes. And there's a lot of action going on on our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash forever 35 podcast. And there's just a slew of spinoffs for you to dabble in. Including our newest spinoff, which is forever 35 elections and voting. Oh, that is awesome. Which I was, will be joining. I joined, which was established um, after we did the party, the the letter writing party with vote forward people were people were fired up and they were like let's do a facebook group which is amazing we had over a hundred people in a zoom it was so cool writing letters to voters it It was was so cool it was so cool cool i had the best time i'm so glad we did it um it was really fun to see everyone there were people who have already written like over a hundred letters and there were people who had never done it before so it was just it was just very very cool it was so cool. Thank you. Uh, and we so appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts. We love when you tell friends about the show or mention us on social media. We thank you for all of it. We do. And a reminder that anything we mention on the show is always on our website, forever35podcast.com. Just click on over to the episodes tab. And you could follow us on Instagram at forever35podcast and on Twitter at forever35pod, although we are not very active on Twitter. Full disclosure. Nope. Kind of. Yeah. We're really just uh, kicking on on the gram. On the gram. Yep. Yep. On the gram. Oh, well, that was fun to get out of the way. I like <laughs> saying all those things. <laughs> um, You know, a really speaking of reviews, a really like lovely thing happened over the last couple of days, which was I was feeling a little bummed about some of the one star reviews we had received recently complaining that we've gotten like, quote unquote, too political. I was just like, you know what? This really sucks. I was like sad about it. And I posted in my Instagram story that we'd gotten these one star reviews and like, hey, you know, if you still like the show oh, and the yeah, so the reviews were like, I used to like this show, but it's gotten like too political, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so I said, if you still like the show, like we'd really appreciate a review. And Kate, I want to yeah, say yeah, story. hundreds. I mean, like so many people left amazing reviews. I was <laughs> so touched, so overwhelmed. It was like, I'm about to cry. It it's was really, like, I know I can tell it was, it was just like, so nice. <laughs> it was so nice. That is really, really kind. That's really, yeah. uh, well, I texted you too. Because I saw you had posted that on Instagram, and then I think I wrote you today or yesterday. I was like, "Have any? Has anyone written a review?" <laughs> like I thought maybe like two people would do well, it. Well, because there's a delay. I don't know. There's like a short delay. Like you're you when you write your well, review, it doesn't go up immediately. So um, I think they just want to make sure that like you're not a spammer. Um, but then when I checked tonight, I was like. Oh my god. <laughs> it was it was it was really genuinely so cool and like so many people messaged me um just to say like hey we like basically like we've got your back and like that just felt really good. So thank you listeners. That's, 
That's really kind. Thank you very much. So we, kind. We truly, really appreciate it. Well, Apple reviews are are genuinely important in helping people find out about our show. And look, I totally support people's um, freedom in writing whatever kind of review they want. But that doesn't mean that I don't look at all the one star ones and the one that once called us adult or dolts. <laughs> Oh, totally. They are it. they are allowed to write those reviews, and I'm also allowed to get sad about it. Like that is true, Dory. Both those things can happen. Um, that is, and true. I try not to let reviews get to me. But I think I was just, I was just feeling kind of bummed about it. Um, but and this was just a good reminder that like those people do not represent the vast, 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 vast majority of our listeners, and that was proven. <laughs> in spades so thank you all again so much so much that's so cool (sighs) we really truly appreciate it so much we do thank you thanks for listening we love you how are you doing dory i cried for 36 hours this weekend oh my god like at least i cried i started crying friday afternoon and i didn't stop till like maybe sunday morning when you say you didn't stop, I had a huge cry. Like you just were like continuously okay. crying. Okay, so let me set the scene. Okay, I got some, I got some personal news on Friday that launched me into a massive cry, mm. and I haven't cried. I haven't had a big cry. Like I've sniffled or choked up or kind of cried a little at certain things in the past, let's say six to eight months. I haven't had the like. You know the cry, like the wailing, yeah, like yes, everything's yes. like the liquids coming cry. out of everywhere. Yes. Yeah, like I had to go like cry in my husband's lap, and I, I, I like couldn't. I ha- it was just a whole thing. And once I started, I couldn't stop. And then I kind of just kept crying about. It was crying about the original thing, but then I started just kind of crying about everything. Mm. Um. Then John, then John Lewis died and I cried about that. And I cried. I, I was so sad that he died. And I was also feeling very, very angry because he died of pancreatic cancer, which is what my mom died of. So I like I always feel like extra angry for when people die of it because it's such an unjust and horrible way to die. So then I was crying about that. And I just kept going. I just like I couldn't stop. And then, of course, like immediately when the crying finished, I got my period. It was like Oh, it was like comical how like it was uh, but but um but it got me um thinking and i actually posted in the forever 35 facebook group about like how do you take care of yourself when you cry like what is your cry self-care practices yeah. because i i wear contact lenses and i've worn them since i was 13 and i know the second i like the second i cry even like in a movie i have to like I, my, my contacts become basically like worthless. So the second I start crying, I take out my contact lenses, but I couldn't wear contacts in, like for two days because my eyes were oh my so God. dry from crying. Yes. And like I was icing my face. Aww. It was hydrating. Like I, I went into like survivalist self-care crying mode. Like yeah. I, after day one, I like made sure to drink an entire 32 ounce water bottle full of liquid iv you remember our old friend and former sponsor liquid iv yes i was i was like i know i'm gonna be dehydrated i need to really hydrate so i drank liquid iv i was like doing eye drops oh my god i was icing i was ice rolling i was doing all of it but i 
I still felt like crying. It took me like a couple days to kind of get back to my like more balanced feeling. I don't know. So I was curious, like, do you have stuff you do to take care of yourself when you have a big cry? Like, does a big cry physically and emotionally affect you the way it does me? Well, I don't think I've ever had a 36 hour cry. Well, I, I should say after kind of the first day, like the first day of on and off crying, it was more just that I kept kind of crying at the drop of a hat. Like, something would happen or I would think of something and I would start to so it wasn't it wasn't straight I was still like functioning in front of my family kind of sure um I mean definitely an ice roller is like (laughs) key like you gotta have the ice roller because your face is like all puffy and you just want to like relieve yourself um I don't know so swollen yeah that sucks I I try to just like be kind to myself Um, Mm. I do find lately that I will get, like, I will start crying from, like, a TV show. Like, I feel like I cry more at TV shows. I almost started crying the other day because I was listening to, um, the Criminal podcast, and they aired an episode of the podcast Ear Hustle, which is the podcast that is, um, broadcast from San Quentin. And it was about people keeping pets in jail, in prison. And I like, I like teared up in the car. Like, I just feel like I'm, I'm very susceptible to emotion these days. That makes sense. I feel that way too. (sighs) The last, like, I remember the last cry I had where I was like, I can't stop crying. Like sometimes you're just like, I cannot stop crying. Like tears just like, like yes. I wasn't like hyperventilating, but like tears were just like running down my face. It was when I watched Never Have I Ever. And I think I talked about this Wait. on Here For You. <laughs> Wait, what? Hold yes. On. Never Have I Ever, the TV show. That's right. Mindy Kaling's yes, show. Yes, the Mindy Kaling show. That's right. Something about it made you cry. Yes. I won't, I, I don't want to give too many, I don't want to like give a spoiler, but um the season finale made me cry like a lot. It was very emotional. When I was in high school and I saw Titanic, I cried for like two to three weeks after on and off. Which is not cool. Far. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I will literally start crying. <laughs> um, anyway, self-care for crying. I would love suggestions yeah. or just like how you how you take care of yourself and, and get rest and kind of nurture the tears, but also like, you know, hydrate your eyes and your face. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. Thank. Thank you. Thank you very much. How have you been? I'm, I'm very excited. For, you're like, first of all, you're becoming like a pop culture podcaster. I so am not. <laughs> Yes, you are. What are you talking you have, about? You have more pop culture wrecks this week. Like, I feel like you're really consuming pop culture hey, in a way that is very That's because I have nothing exciting. else going on in my life. <laughs> like, literally nothing. <laughs> nothing happens. Oh, my God. I'm going to cry again. Oh, <laughs> And, like, yes, I could just, like, prattle on about Henry. But, like, that bore, that's, like, boring. So the only other things that I'm doing are, like, 
pop culture things and playing Animal Crossing. Like that is what I that is what I'm doing. Like besides work, which like who wants to hear about work? Henry and then pop culture. <laughs> like that's it. That's my life. Um well, I still admire it because I'm not. So tell us you've got more wrecks for us. Well, you know, it's funny. Yeah, I I definitely went through a phase where like I couldn't focus on TV or books. And I feel like I'm getting back into both. Um, This past week, I I watched some really good reality TV that I want to talk about. I am about halfway through the new show Indian Matchmaking on Netflix. And I actually saw my <laughs> I saw my fertility doctor this morning. She was like, how was your weekend? And I was like, oh, you know, it was fine. I was like, I guess the only thing I did was watch Indian matchmaking. She was like, I watched the whole thing. <laughs> and then we had a whole discussion about it. <laughs> so that okay, was fun. I need, I need to watch this. Okay. <laughs> um, it's like, it's the perfect combination of like surprisingly deep and like thought provoking. Um but also light, you know? Oh, that's perfect. Yes. I'm really enjoying it because, you know, I was really, I was thinking about this. The last matchmaker that I remember watching on TV was the millionaire matchmaker who. Yes, I remember her. Is not like a nice person. And that I found that I eventually found that show very hard to watch. It felt like she, I don't know. I don't want to go into the millionaire matchmaker, but you know, so that, so that's kind of the last time I've, I've watched a matchmaker on TV. And this woman is like the polar opposite of the millionaire matchmaker. She's, she's really thoughtful and kind. And like, it's, it's just, it's just really a a great show. I'm really enjoying it. Um, It's eight episodes. It's on Netflix. Then also, so my sister the other day was like, I really wish you watched Million Dollar Listing so we could talk about it. And I was like, you know, I used to watch that show. It used to be one of the shows I watched. But like years ago, like I haven't watched that show in at least five, if not longer, five years, if not longer. Um, And then I was like, I don't even know if I get it anymore. Like we just have YouTube TV. We don't have regular TV. I was like, let me just see. But we do. We have Bravo On Demand on YouTube TV. So I was like, all right, I'll I'll just settle in to watch a recent episode of Million Dollar Listing so I can text about it with my sister. (laughs) And you know what? It was like it was like seeing old friends that you haven't seen in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Like you notice their changes. Oh, my God. Yes, because they've all changed so much because they're all so freaking rich now. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I mean, they were rich before, but like now they're like, it's insane. Um, and okay. one of them in particular has just become like the apotheosis of himself. Like he is just a ridiculous Ugh. human in a way that like I enjoy. Um, and And it's mostly the same people on the show, which I feel like is kind of rare for a reality show. There is a new woman new i she's been on the show for like three seasons she's new to me um but yeah it was like oh oh yeah i remember yeah okay like i got right back into it so that was like another good escape 
And I was kind of like, you're you're seeing old friends during quarantine. That's, yeah, that's what I just said. Like it, it did. It felt like, yeah. Oh, I'm checking in with these people that I haven't seen in years. <laughs> but it's just like old times. It's like it's like no no time passed. <laughs> oh my god. You know those friends that those are million dollar listing agents for me. Um, <laughs> Keep going. I didn't know that it would be these people for me, but once I got started, I was like, "This is like coming home." Um, and I was a little apprehensive that like watching a show about expensive real estate might be upsetting in a way, but it's like. The real estate is so expensive and so ridiculous that it's not it's not even something where I'm like, oh, I'm jealous of that person because it's like this house costs right. twenty million dollars. <laughs> so Oh my god. Um Yeah. So anyway, and then I saw, you know, the writer Amanda Mull, um, who writes for the Atlantic. Yes. She tweeted today that she has just gone back to watching Below Deck and Shaws of Sunset. And she had like a similar reaction to how I returned to million dollar listing. And I think that this is like a thing, like people returning to like comfort reality shows because these shows have now been going on for like 10, 12, 15 seasons. Like they've been going forever. And so it's nice to just like jump right back in and again, like feel like no time has passed. I'm considering doing this with I, Real Housewives because I stopped watching Housewives like eight years ago, and I'm like, maybe I should. I've just been tempted for that for Real Housewives too, right? Beverly Hills specifically, right? No, or New York. So my fave Housewives were OC. I was an OC OG. Oh, I I watched early OC too. Atlanta, and mm-hmm, Atlanta's good. New Jersey. I liked oh, New God. York. Ooh. I liked New York, but I really liked New Jersey. <laughs> this is fascinating. This is like not a side of you that I know very well. The reality television, the reality side? TV set. Yeah, because I it's feel like, like it's been in recent dormant. years. It's not been your thing. Exactly, it's been dormant for a while. But quarantine is just really bringing it out of me. <laughs> Have you ever watched Married at First Sight? Because no, I have Anthony not. and I watched that the other night. It is wild. You should check. That is fascinating. I don't know if it's relaxing, though. See, but that's a show that I never watched. So I feel like yeah, I have, I've never seen it either. I have no context for it. I'd be like jumping in new, you know? Yeah, you don't want new friends. No new really, friends right I don't now. need new friends right now. I need old friends. I need comforting friends. Okay. I want to know I what like love Vicky. This. I want to know what Vicky Gumbelson is up to. You know what I'm saying? She's not. Vicky's not on OC anymore. Okay. See, I don't even know that. I watched um, the other night after my like first or second night of crying. I watched Golden Girls on Hulu. Uh, I started with the pilot. And talk I watched about like, comfort two food. other episodes. It was so comf- comforting. I, this and this was an activity suggestion that we suggested during here for you and yes. i like in my brain i was like i'm gonna watch golden girls and i finally did it dory it was like being wrapped in a warm blanket Ooh. with pg-13 jokes it was yes. so freaking great i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to it and also like they're such amazing women like just seeing they these are. four older women on tv uh well Wow. Stay tuned for more pop pop culture <laughs> coverage. 
Well, well speaking of friendships. <laughs> yes. Our Did you like interview, my segue? I loved your segue. Go on. I mean, look, I, uh, the, 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 the women we get to interview on this episode are, are beyond any housewife of any franchise. Because we're talking to Amina Tussauds and Anne Friedman, the hosts that call your girlfriend podcast and the authors of the most delightful speaking of like heartwarming and cozy, but also like thought provoking book, Big Friendship. Yes. So good. And it was a real freaking treat. And we got to do it over Zoom. So we all saw each other, which was. Yes, we got to mm. do it over Zoom because we had technical difficulties with the with the app that we normally use to record. <laughs> um, but it yes, turned out so to we be had great. An unexpected Zoom. Yes, it was so fun. Such a joy to talk to both of them. Their book is delightful. Please buy their book. Uh, so we're going to take a short. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we will be talking to Anne and Amina. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri-Term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is, and I feel like also with summer just come more social events there's weddings there's nights out it's vacations i mean like all the things happening in summer and what i love is that honey love has just the right thing for all those events feel comfortable and confident this summer with honey love's best selling superpower short the superpower short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that my, thing every day. I do too. Uh, it's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me Let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Okay, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I I, don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it, like, the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like, get this off of me. <laughs> No, thank once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see how also, it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. 
And you know what? I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or, or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever 35. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast, but I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass, but this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S., and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college, so this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes! Get into it with Masterclass, because this is the year you can really learn from the best to Become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss, or Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, 
our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. We are very, very, very excited about our guest on today's episode. We have Amina Tussauds and Anne Friedman, podcast hosts, authors, and most importantly, friends. Uh, let me give you their bios just before we get started. Amina Tussauds is a writer, interviewer, and cultural commentator. She is a frequent public speaker whose talks and interviews lead to candid conversations about ambition, money, and power. Aminatu lives in Brooklyn. And Anne Friedman is a journalist, essayist, and media entrepreneur. She's a contributing editor to The Gentlewoman. And every Friday, she sends out her very popular, wonderful email newsletter. Anne lives in Los Angeles. And together, they host the long-running, absolutely incredible podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. And Big Friendship is their first book. And as I'm reading this, I I, I have chills, which doesn't always happen to me. (laughs) Or maybe never happens to me when I'm reading bios of guests. But we're just so happy that you both are here. And... Yeah, I'm so thrilled to get to talk to you about this book. Thank Love you. Love coming so on shows that I listen us. to. Like truly, <laughs> we are as as you already know, we are big Forever Thirty Five fans. So oh, it's really, really a funny. pleasure to be here. And day one, fans, very mutual. Yeah, <laughs> day one, day one, writer dies. In sure. fact, I think that speaking of big friendship, I think Kate. And my like first real friend date was to a Call Your Girlfriend show. It was Whoa! at the Ace Hotel in Los Angeles. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. So right. I'm now I'm getting chills. Remember podcast shows? Woo. Yeah. Remember COVID. remember uh-uh. shows. <laughs> and it was kind of like you know it's funny reading your book and thinking about my friendship with Kate and what you guys are talking about, like stretching and kind of reaching out to people. And I remember asking Kate if she wanted to go to this show and being like, so, um, you know, that there's that cool podcast called your girlfriend and they're doing a live show. And I was, I was just wondering, like, would you, would you maybe want to (laughs) go? It was definitely like a, like I knew Kate, but we weren't, we hadn't taken our friendship to that level yet. So sat next to each other intimately in a theater. Yes. So thank you for, for doing that for us. I we love hearing that. <laughs> mm. An honor and a pleasure, really. Yes. <laughs> um, well, we both really loved your book and yeah. feel like it's going to mean so much to so many of our listeners. We get, and I'm sure you do too. I mean, I think you mentioned this in your book that you get so many questions about friendship. Um, and I guess what I would love to start with is how would you two define a big friendship versus just a regular old friendship mm. versus a Facebook friend or whatever, or whatever yes. other designation <laughs> we might have? It's funny even hearing you ask that because the, the answer is right there is that the word friend is so nebulous. You know, it's mm. like friend is someone that you've known since you were three and you're like moms went to Weight Watchers together or <laughs> I, I'm talking about a very specific friend in my life um, <laughs> or, you know, like someone that you kind of maybe took one class in college with and then now you live in the same city or 
it can be people who have these like very deep like ties with you like Anne is there it it's so it's such a weird relationship to define and um and so much of what is hard about friendship is that the definition is unclear sometimes and um you know and so we came up with this term big friendship because we wanted to talk about the kind of relationship that we have which is a very um, deep-rooted friendship, a friendship that is rooted in the future, a friendship that has an expectation that you are constantly going to be investing in each other and also that you want to be together for a long time. There is a reason that the, you know, the subtitle is how we keep each other close. We didn't write a book about how to make friends, um, which is something that is frankly, like, you know, something that someone should really write about because it is hard to make friends and it's not something that we should take for granted. And um, we were really interested in puzzling through all of the ups and downs of our of our friendship. And I'm sure that you you both know this because you are two people who host a podcast there. Um, there's the public story of your relationship. Like people think that they know you and they think that they know all of the stuff about your friendship and and really all they know is the, you know, the stuff that you say on the on the microphone. And then there is also the reality of here is who we are when when the microphones are are off. And for Anne and I, we're we're two people who care really deeply about each other and we would like to be in each other's lives for a really, really long time. And what we lose by not talking about the complication and the nuance of friendship is that basically makes you it leaves you feeling that if you're feeling kind of weird or gross about something in your friendships that there's something wrong with you and not that it's a completely normal experience to be having actually if you are in intimate relationships with people of any kind it's going to get weird and gross sometimes (laughs) and so um and so big friendship the term like really tries to address that it's like we are we want to be in each other's lives for a really long time and that is the tier of friendship expectation that we have for each other and um giving giving like uh you know giving labels and words to to things that we feel really deeply is really important for that yeah it was so uh validating and and to read your book because it's 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 just interesting to me, and I think to Dory too, how romantic relationships often in conversation, we make room for there to be complexities, whereas friendships are just assumed to be easy and, quote, natural and requiring no work. And, and that to me is the under, uh, one big underlying message of your story that you share, as well as your larger philosophies about these kinds of relationships, is that they require constant coming back to doing the work to having a healthy friendship. Yeah. Work is a key word. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, one of the aspects of the definition is that a big friendship is active. It's not just a thing that um, you kind of feel in your heart of hearts, but like don't ever practice or act on or um, try to live with the other person in a day-to-day kind of way. Um, And uh, so, yeah, so we were really interested in this question of like in adulthood, not in like our teen years or not in an era when maybe friendship is considered more central. But like now as fully, um, you know, 35 and up adults, (laughs) how do we um, continue to put in the work and how do we normalize putting in the work in friendship? Because um, one thing that I think comes up a lot is 
um, you know, overwhelm, right? Like family is overwhelming and work is overwhelming and trying to keep up with your own personal health and wellness can also be overwhelming. And so how are you supposed to make time for friendship as well? And that's something that we really wanted to address head on um, in terms of the expectation for where it falls on the priority list for busy adults. Can you tell us a little bit about what writing this book together was like? Because it's really interesting. I've never, I don't think we've ever read a book written from the point of view of we, like from a partnership. And so could you explain how you kind of came to to that choice and then how you did it together, especially as long distance besties? Yeah, you know, I think we, that was one of the really first decisions that we made is that we had to write this book as a we because we are trying to arrive at these joint truths of um and and describe joint experiences that we have we've we've read some really really great you know like novels about friendship there's awesome books about what it's like to be a friend or you know on what all these different ways but we had just never read a book about with two people jointly telling the truth about the the friendship that they were in and we were really we were really interested in that and i think that part of it um you know is that it's like we we have to tell the same story but we also have to tell the same story because it is for our friendship it is safer to tell that story together you know there's no world in which um one of us is writing a tell all about the here's what it's like on this side of the of the of the podcast uh you know here's what it's like on this side of the zencaster and so um chaotic and so there was <laughs> when it's working very very, <laughs> very 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 chaotic and you know and i think that for us it really it forced us to do this really deep emotional work of okay like what like what are we saying together like i know what i'm saying and i know what anna's saying what are we saying together and so logistically um what was really fun about it is that it meant that we had to spend more in person time together um and since we don't live in the same city it meant like going on these kind of writing retreat style trips with each other and you know uh cook every single meal together hang out all day work 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 um and truly the work wife of my dreams thank god it works it works for us <laughs> unimpeachable work ethics in this duo like truly truly like ready to put in 24 hours when we need to <laughs> it's so true i'm like i've seen you from like the time you like put on your pajamas to the time you like take them off in the morning and the work the work ethic is iconic but anyway um <laughs> enough enough about um enough about how much i love and Friedman and back to the point of your question. Um, yeah, so we would, we live together. Um, we outline together really, which was a process that involved just talking it out to death of what, what is it that we were trying to say? And, um, and we would go into like our separate corners of, of the house and write and then come back to read out loud to each other what we had written, which to me was always, I think I've said this already somewhere else. It was so fun because mm. one, um, I lo- like, I love to read Anne Friedman. So that's just a gift. And then also to have this experience of, Oh, you're, you're trying to make a larger point with a friend or someone in your life and you go separately to kind of think it out and then come back to share it is always really illuminating because sometimes the stories are the same. You know, we're like, okay, like we use the same like anecdote and other times it's like, Oh, I don't remember that. Or, Oh, I remember this from a different perspective. And 
you know, so the meta conversation of it was also very healing. And, you know, there's a world in which I'm like, wow, if you could do this exercise with every single person that you're in a relationship with. Wow. Amazing. Um, I don't recommend it, though. It's <laughs> so much work. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to ask about that. Like, what were some of the things that you found that you remembered differently? Hmm. I'm thinking about this. I mean, some of it was just arriving at a deeper conversation. So we would both mm. remember like that was an awkward moment for for maybe different reasons on both of our parts. But like the what was really going on there question was often something that we um, arrived at together based on like both having had to articulate like why something felt bad or weird to us. Um, and, you know, um, it is it is really just like one line in the book but like uh like one example is like when things were not great between us we had uh plans to have dinner and i brought what was then a new boyfriend for me because i was like oh great like you know important people in my life meeting each other um and i was just like you know that was my view and um and I mean, Aminatu was like, oh, finally, I'm going to get some good one-on-one catch-up time with Anne. And was like, what is this guy doing here? You know, like, I'm, I'm broadly paraphrasing. But like, that's a situation that's like a good example of we were both, we were both trying to come at our disconnect by trying to connect. And it was like, it was just telling as like, um, you can have a shared intention. You can both remember that like that incident did not feel good to you for different reasons but like what were we each really trying to do there is the kind of question that came out more as a result of the writing process um and i would also say for me a lot of these examples um or several of them in this book have to do with things that were miscommunications between us where i didn't identify the like race dynamic at play or i didn't understand an aspect of aminatu's experience in real time as rooted in you know the pervasive racism in this world and in our friendship and so there are also instances where i'm like oh yeah i definitely remember all the details of that conflict or that incident like you know if you wrote down if you filmed them with a camera they would look the same from from you know both of our perspectives but like i was missing this huge piece of the puzzle and so you know um i i really have to echo you know aminatu's comment of like hey if you could do this with all of your friends like wow what a world and also wow what work how much work yeah so let's talk about the descent because that's a big part of the book i mean your book opens with you two at a spa weekend that, as you say, like look would have looked perfect from the outside, but inside you were both really struggling, and your friendship was really struggling. Um, and you also talk about going to couples therapy for your friendship, which I think is not something that most friends do, but it sounds like it was really beneficial for both of you. So. I'd love for you to just tell our listeners kind of about the way that your friendship became strained and then how you work to repair it. That's such a good question. You know, I think um, it's funny, even after all of these words and after all of the therapy and all of the talking about it, it feels so not dramatic 
And <laughs> so just like, wow, all of life is just one big cliche. You know, it's just not dramatic, kind of petty and very and with the benefit of hindsight everyone is like well i would have made different decisions <laughs> sure. if i had a, if i had the personal growth i have now uh if i had that then i would operate on a different level but you know i think that for us it was kind of inevitable we just started missing each other in these very small ways like at first just like very 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 small ways um you know someone does something that just it it feels weird and you just don't say anything in real time and then it's not a big deal because you don't say anything and that's fine but when you know it's when it starts to like accumulate and it's like oh there's like 10 of those or there's 15 of those or you know not that you're keeping track but the i keep using the word weird because for me that's really how it felt i was like oh something about this doesn't feel good it doesn't feel like bad enough that i want to say something um you know i'm not a shy person i i generally will you know when i'm not comfortable i think i i have a propensity to uh to communicate that but it was just it was just this like very strange experience of oh this thing doesn't something about it doesn't feel good and why am i not able to say something about it in mm. real time and i think that that is a really recognizable um, kind of emotion. And in some ways, it would have been so much easier if there was this huge dramatic thing to point to. Like, oh, and you fucked this one thing up or you were so careless. You know, like if there, if there had been a thing, then we would be fighting. <laughs> if there had been a thing, we would have been fighting about the thing, which in some ways is so much more productive. But there wasn't a thing. There was just this, there was this very nebulous, like pit of the stomach feeling of, we are not communicating about a couple of things. And, mm. and the question was always for me was why am I like, why am I not saying anything? And, you know, and over, and this happened over a couple of years and uh, you know, which means that the, the, the rot really just sets in because mm. what you're doing is establishing a really unhealthy communication pattern and a really unhealthy dynamic between two people, even if it's not apparent to you, the, the dynamic is set now. And <laughs> especially if it's not apparent to you, I would say, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like a thing that's also worth mentioning is that part of why, and you and I can be such good friends is that we, there are some things that we share very strongly and this like inability to do feelings very well, or just, you know, like talk about your feelings in real time. You know, and at the beginning of our friendship, this was actually a really strong asset. Part of why I was drawn to Anne was that there were, you know, it just, it felt easy. And I had found someone who processed feelings the exact same way that I did. So something that was a strength one time has now become a weakness because you're not growing at the same pace. And because we had just, we, we started missing each other in these really small ways. At first, it became really big ways because the, the chasm just opens up more and more and more. And, um, and we were just not talking to each other about the things that were really hard. And for us, that really came to a head, um, when we started talking about work, because for as much as our friendship didn't feel great, work was going gangbusters. Like we mm. are really, really, really good coworkers. I, I struggle to remember a time when our friendship was strained, where I felt that Anne was not a good colleague to me. And I think that mm. that's so telling also. And part of the mindfuck is that it's like, oh, 
She shows up every day. She gives 110%. Could not be prouder of her. She's so good at work. I, I love this. And then why does the friendship feel weird? And, um, and so it's very telling that for us, the thing that prompted us to say, Hey, this doesn't feel good was a work conversation because we're people who are, you know, we're, we are very, uh, we, we love to be self-expressed. And when, when we couldn't, uh, when we couldn't agree on doing this one work thing together, the question really wasn't like, why do you not want to work on this thing with me? It was what's really going on here mm. and why, why are we not um, spending, why do we not want to spend more time together? And, and it was like a huge point of catharsis because, you know, it'd been like, I want to say like two or three years Anne, right. Of just this underlying something is weird. And, uh, and in, and in, and in saying that, you know, I think that sometimes part of why you don't want to know what's going on in your relationship is that you're afraid that they're going to tell you that it's wrong. And then it means that the whole thing is falling apart. Mm. And, and I think that I had the opposite experience of the minute Anne said to me, Oh, this feels awful. I don't feel good. I felt like that was the breakthrough was, Oh my God. Like I am not in my head going like completely just mad thinking about this. It's like, Oh, she is also experiencing this discomfort. And, um, you know, for the aforementioned reasons of, um, we are not good at feelings, but we're very good at talking. We were able to talk through that. Hmm. And I just want to say the too, next part of this. <laughs> well, I just want to say I have a lot of compassion for our previous selves when we talk about this because, um, you know, and there's a reason why this conversation arose in the context of work is because work is a place where we had and continue to have an explicit agreement with each other that we're going to keep showing up to this work partnership. Like, you know, we are three-way work married in an LLC, right? Like we are, it's a lot to dissolve. And so it's in some ways safer in the context of work to say, this isn't working because you know, we're still bound together. And um, that's something that like, you know, some of the experts we interviewed said, which is in a romantic relationship or particularly in like a marriage or family relationship when it is really a lot harder to walk away or dissolve it, or you've made these explicit commitments that are like literally on paper. It is easier to say when things are feeling bad because then um, you have some assurances that it's not going to, you know, make the whole thing tumble to the ground. And, you know, friendship, um, the vast majority of friendships don't have that assurance. And so it makes sense that it's a lot harder to say um, something about this is really not working or like there is some rot in the basement that is spreading to other levels of the house <laughs> um, to, to use a weird home improvement metaphor that just came to me. Um, and so I friendship, just, I want to say friendship as home improvement, the Carmen Maria Machado. Uh, oh book. my God. Yes. In the friendship breakdown house, like a hundred percent. But yeah, but I just want to say that is like, I realize now not just for personal failings of feelings, but because of the expectations around friendship mm -hmm. because the definitions are missing and i really um i really now like have this perspective of like because we have made some of these assurances to each other as friends i feel really good about our ability in the future to talk about when things don't feel great because we now have this like you know i mean it's not literally on paper but we have more of a commitment that like we both want to stay here and work on each other's french on, on on the friendship yeah. And so, you know, I think that it's that's how we ended up in couples therapy, which is and it feels very extravagant and weird. And, you know, I it 
it would be so much easier to share that story if you're like, oh yeah, we're doing this weird like a uh, LA Brooklyn thing that a uh, weird LA Brooklyn people do. <laughs> and instead, it was a huge. Um, I I realize now, even as someone who is has been in personal therapy for over a decade. I realize now how so much of that stigma, how so much of that stigma operates. You know, there was a huge like we were not telling the people in our lives that we were at couples therapy because a select few. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because the if you tell people that it, the, the, the mind goes to like, oh, yeah, these two have problems and it's not working, which, again, is very, very normal. But for us, because we were so comfortable with our working partnership, even when our friendship didn't feel the same, even when our friendship did not feel good. Knowing that we were able to interview therapists, hire therapists, have a conversation around, okay, who's going to pay this time? Are we going to drive? Um, are we driving there? Are we taking an Uber there? Are we going together? Are we going separately? Are we did you hydrate? Just, yeah, did you <laughs> hydrate? Like, have you eaten? I know that you're not going to be happy if we go to therapy on an empty stomach, so please eat so we don't have a full meltdown there. Being able to make those kinds of big logistical decisions in the background of um you know not feeling completely safe and good with each other is was also a huge assurance mm. and um and i think that for me um it just it just showed me that oh i don't quite understand there is there is a breach of communication in our in our friendship and i am not understanding what ann wants or needs but i am seeing ann make this decision with me and mm. that counts for a lot and, you know, and I think that it was it, it really for me was like shifting my mindset to it is um, you have to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like, even if you do not understand the words that are coming out of their mouth and those words are contradictory to every feeling that you have, giving your partners in life the benefit of the doubt that they are they intend to do the thing that they intend to do. And then watching them follow up on that, I think, was a really powerful it was a really powerful experience for me because that is the courtesy that I want other people to have for me. And again, you know, it was just an assurance that, okay, we are literally financially investing in repairing this relationship. That has to mean something. Oh, that is amazing. I'm hearing you, just hearing you talk, uh, your perspective on friendship is so, like you, you are both speaking as people who, are so clear on this commitment to each other and and the work it takes. It's really it's really moving. Um, I wanted to I wanted to ask about safety in a friendship because this is something you talk about in the book, and we get a lot of questions on our podcast about toxic friendships and how to know if a friend is toxic and how to end a friendship or change a friendship. And so I was wondering from from your perspective, how do you determine if a friend offers safety to you in a relationship and and what do you suggest people do if that safety is betrayed? Mm. We definitely interviewed some therapists for the book who had thoughts on this. Um, you know, one thing that we heard again and again is to start by asking yourself some questions about um, about the friendship and about um, not just this other person, because toxic friend sort of implies like, that is a state of being associated with this other person. And if you frame it more like this is a toxic friendship or like what is the dynamic between us that is happening? What are the questions you can ask um, to not so much like interrogate your role or assign blame, but like just to gain a little bit more perspective? Um, because presumably, you know, 
most people who, um, you know, I have maybe been tempted to apply that label to have other healthy relationships in their lives, right? Like, you know, and that alone tells me that maybe this is a toxic dynamic between the two of us for any number of reasons, as opposed to this person is a toxic friend. So I think asking some questions, um, being able to look at your own patterns, like, you know, this is another thing we heard from therapists of, um, you know, do all of your friends seem to, friendships seem to break down in the same way? Do you mm. experience, <laughs> um, you know, toxic friends, uh, you know, doing the same things or do you have your, you find yourself having the same responses over and over? Um, those are some other things to ask about. And, and I don't think that, um, those therapists or we are saying there is no such thing as like a toxic friendship. But I, I do think that like reflecting on, um, times when our dynamic certainly was toxic, like for a while or reflecting on, um, just the real life difficulties that happen between adults who are doing their best. It's pretty clear to me that like a lot of friendships that get written off as toxic are, um, you know, that's not the whole story or it's not quite that simple. And so I, I don't know that I have like a definitive, here's a checklist. Is this a toxic friend? You know, it doesn't quite work like that. Um, but, but yeah, like asking some questions from multiple um, angles on the situation seems to be um a good starting point right i really love asking oh sorry sorry. no no go ahead i was just gonna say also asking that person you know i think that i i am thinking to myself of every time i have labeled a person or a friendship toxic it was very much a one-sided conversation you know and not knowing what that person's experience of being in the friendship is i think is also very telling and, um, you know, and I, yeah, I, I know that I, I was like, I am very much, uh, have been a part of this dynamic and every single time I, I look back and I was like, oh yeah, I never discussed that with them. I either made a unilateral decision or, you know, we both like kind of walked away in a way that was, um, you know, you give each other the slow fade out. But I think that again, if we're talking about relationships between adults, we should be able to like find a way to talk about that not saying that you have to save every friendship that you don't feel good about but i do think that finding a way to um you know in a non-threatening and healthy way like ask this other person how are they also feeling in the friendship because you know the thing that i've learned is that it is very possible that someone else is telling the story about me and i am the toxic friend you know and that is Mm -hmm. i think that um if you are if you are in a toxic friendship uh it's possible that both of you are the toxic friend and that is that's something that's like really hard to understand and to know and it makes sense when you think about the fact that we don't have so many hard deep and important conversations with the people that we're friends with about these kinds of dynamics Right. Like, is it toxicity or is it just a really hard conversation that you don't want to have? Yeah. Yeah. That section kind of along the same lines as you were saying, Amina, too, like. I I was I also had to kind of reexamine some of the uh, assumptions I had made about some friendships in my life that I had labeled toxic. but because I had labeled the people toxic, I had not labeled the friendship toxic. And I think that's such a good reframing of how we think about these things. 
Um, I also wanted to talk about how if someone is I know I know this is not a book about how to make friends, but it kind of is a book about how to main, it's a book about how to maintain big friendships. And I'm wondering if if someone doesn't have a big friendship by the time they're say 30, is it too late for them? I don't think so. It's never too so. late. Okay. <laughs> it's never too late. I know that we all, you know, we all read those articles about like how it's impossible to make friends after you're 30 or, you know, all, like, and we're all part of, of that conversation. And I, you know, I both want to say that for people like the four of us who are blessed with a lot of really like deep and good friendships in our lives, it's worth remembering that making friends is hard for a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. and that, um, that is not a personal failure. There are a lot of structural, uh, deep emotional reasons why some people, um, cannot or do not have friends. And I think that a lot of us just take, take the fact that we can make friends easily for granted or that once in our lives we made friends and it means that these people have poured it over, um, over and over. And it is true that, you know, the 30, the magic number of, okay, you kind of start to feel like an adult now. You, you like work is stressful. Maybe your family configuration is becoming stressful. Maybe you are um, having children. Maybe you are, you know, you're making these like very big decisions about life. And friendship is the easiest thing to fall by the wayside because there is a societal expectation that, um, you know, family and children and work is more important than friendship, which is, I, you know, like, I believe very deeply misguided because um, friends can fill um, a lot of the emotional needs that we um, put on other relationships. And honestly, like, we pressure all of these other parts of our lives when um, your friends can actually step up to to be the the pressure release valve in a lot of these situations. But I don't think that it's too late. I think that, um, you know, it's it's a conversation that is like worth having over and over with yourself and in, with the people that you are in community with. I think that, you know, the the part about friendship that's like very idealized and infantilized that like, um, you know, that you're on the playground and you ask someone else like, will you be my friend? Right. And we look at that with this like very uh, rosy, romantic, you know, lens. And then we kind of dismiss it a little. I was like, that is a that is a question that you can ask like every day that you are alive to another human being. And there is nothing shameful about it. There is nothing um, like small and infantilizing about it. And if anything, we should be asking people if they want to be our friend, like consent is beautiful and sexy Mm. and friendship is a really important relationship. And for those of us who just have friends that we've fallen into, I think that it should actually force us to examine how, you know, just all of these hours of spending time with someone, does it really mean that you're friends with them? You know, like it's like you have to, you have to do the work of, of labeling the thing. And so I, I am very bullish and very hopeful on the fact that um, you can make a friend for like every day that you were breathing oxygen on this planet. Um, sure. It gets harder and harder the older you are because other life transitions and events like have this, really prominent feeling but i you know 
it, it's just so hard to for me to like to, to accept the fact that we like as a society, we say, oh, yeah, there's like an age where you're just like done. The people that you know are the people that you know. I'm like, that's just it's simply not true. It's simply not true. It's like if you get a new job in your 40s or your 50s, you are making new friends. You know, you're maybe not calling it that, but you you have opportunities to meet people. And so I um this is a really rambling way of saying that, you know, the the childishness and the wonder and the like everything good that we think about friendship with children is like we should really reclaim that imagination for our adult lives and um and so many people feel this way you know like if there is a listener out there who's like oh yeah this is not my experience i guarantee you that there are two listeners and if there are two listeners there are hundreds of listeners like this yeah. is not a this is not an isolated um you know like one person is broken and they don't know how to do things so much of this problem is a lack of definition it is a lack of establishing norms and it's a lack of empowering people to to ask for the bonds that they want of people in their lives mm. and being proactive in other ways too you know i think that um like our book is not exclusively about friendships between women but like you know there is something about um the uh, assumed passivity sometimes that that people socialized mm -hmm. as women have, which is if someone isn't reaching out to me, then they don't really want to be friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that we feel very strongly about, not just saying that, like, I want to be friends, but um, being the one who actually follows up or, um, you know, we also describe this pit of the stomach feeling that we both had when we met each other that, you know, I think most people can relate to that like ooh, what's happening here like you know dory whatever made you want to ask kate to go see the live podcast show you know that sense of an, an ineffable connection um where you're just excited about this person you know recognizing that um you might have to you know undertake some personal emotional risk to name that feeling to say you want to be friends and then to be really clear like oh do you want to sign up for this class with me so that we see each other every week or you know do you want to go for a walk together you know on this day in a recurring way like you know when i think about the closest friends that i have made in the past several years um a lot of those friendships have had structure in the early days where like, this is our thing. This is the thing we do together. And, you know, the friendships have gone on to kind of transcend that appointment or that activity. Um, but I do think that um, being able to say, I want you on my calendar mm. <laughs> is powerful. <laughs> I mean, it's so telling though, that so much of this, you know, like flexing that muscle I think especially for people in our age range is always talked about in this romantic context. You know, it's like, mm. you got to put yourself out there. You just got to download the apps. You got to, you know, like you got to change your picture. You got like, there's always a thing where people are telling you that if you were more proactive about it, uh, a romantic partner will land in your lap. And somehow we've all really internalized that messaging. It's why it's li quite literally a shorthand. And, um, you know, and I think that we need to bring that same energy to friendship there. Mm -hmm. The thing that Anne was saying about friendships not being passive is so true. You know, we are and and I know that it comes easier to us. And so I, I, I don't take that for granted. But we are two people who plan things and we plan <laughs> them not, you know, like. 
like one of us is definitely an extrovert. The other one of us is just a control freak. You know, I'm like, I'm <laughs> it's the, a good combo. The, it's a really yeah, good combo like, for early friendship. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I'll, I'll let the, I'll let the people decide like who is who, but there is just, I, I just think that so much of being an adult is taking control of your own life and life just does not happen to you. And that, you know, that's like quite literally a cliche that, um, you know, like, my parents told me all the time, but I think that it's really worth um, it's worth like really investigating what that means, because I think that part of the, you know, part of the struggle about talking about friendship and especially friendships between women is just this idea that some people are in the in group and some people are in the out group and everything just feels very high school. And we're all just agreeing to this weird social script that has was written like, I don't know, in like a like John Hughes movie, and this is how we're going to do life. <laughs> and I think that it it is just it's simply not true. And I think that if anyone really looks deeply at other relationships that mean a lot to them, whether they are family relationships that they have or whether they are romantic relationships that they have, those did require some work. And they did require not being passive. And they, you know, like it it requires you to be an active participant in something that you want to happen. And so it's, it's nice to know. And to me, it's deeply comforting to know that yes, you can bring that same like family, like marriage, baby, whatever energy to, to your friendship and your friendship will be great for it. Well, that feels like a really nice note to end on, to be perfectly honest. Um, I feel inspired to like (laughs) text someone that I want to be friends with. Um, So thank you for writing this amazing book. Thank you for hosting your amazing podcast. Thank you for being such wonderful people. Thank you for coming on this podcast. Um, Yeah, this has been really, really, really great to talk to both of you. Um, Where can our listeners find you? You can find us and everything about Big Friendship at bigfriendship.com. And Kate and Dory, thank you so much for having us. Um, We really are day one fans. It's true. The only reason I'm still on Facebook is because I'm in like 11 billion uh, Forever 35 (laughs) Facebook groups that are all very useful. Shout out to my ladies from the child free group. Um, And, uh, you know, it's just it's really nice. um, It's really nice to do this with you. Two people who um, are very good friends and also podcasters. I know, and modeling hard conversations for us, like, week in and week out, truly. Oh, thank you. Wow, y'all, that is so nice. That is a real... I have chill. I keep chilling up in this interview. (laughs) I know, because, well, they were such inspirations to us, and it's just, like, really nice. And remain so. And remain so. Yeah, really. (sighs) Well, thank you again. Yeah, thank you all so much. Get this book. Get this book. Everyone needs this Mm -hmm. book. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I know. Visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. 
And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. I hope our conversation uh, held up to to our our build up. We gave it a big build up before, but I think I think we did. I think we were it, very excited. Very excited. It was just it was just so fun to talk to them. They're they're well, and also like, oh, go ahead, Dory. Sorry, well, I was just going to say they are they're two of my pod heroes, and <gasps> that's what I was about to say. Oh, well, look at that. <laughs> It's like they're, I, I don't know why I'm screaming. They're like pod role models. <laughs> they are pod role models. Yes. Um, so it was, it was just, it was just really lovely to talk to them. Yeah. Anyway, Kate, talk to mm. me mm-hmm. about your intentions. Okay. Well, last week I was really going to focus on my sleep. And then I had like the worst night of sleep after the first day of crying. I, mm. I slept for like four hours from like, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. I kind of had like a come to Kate conversation with myself. Ooh. And I had to I had to really kind of look at my habits that I have formed over the last few months of being at home all the time. Yeah. And I, I'm taking a break from playing our favorite game, Animal Crossing, on the Nintendo Switch. Okay. Um, I am I mean, I think I'm developing Carpal Tunnel, which I actually think you mentioned that was happening to you yes, as well. I did. And I just, it was very hard for me to, to like play that game until 1030 at night and then try to transition to going to bed. I just couldn't do it. Mm. So I'm giving that is taking a, that's on hiatus for me right now. And I, I'm, I gave myself a firm phone bedtime of 9 PM. Okay. So okay. I'm, I'm trying to stick to that and to see how that goes this week and to really try to focus on getting some good rest because that has really been a struggle for me in the last month. It's been really hard. Yeah. So I should say my 
this week is just my intention is kind of a follow up. I'm doubling down on my sleep hygiene and I'm trying mm-hmm. to be very strict with myself. Great. So how you were focusing on that last week. How did it go I for was. You? My goal was to start my bedtime routine at 10. I would. I've been decently good about this. I give myself a B. B, B minus. Although as discussed, you and I have different <laughs> scales I know. of what a B is. Um, so like last night, last night I watched TV in bed for the first time in a long time because I felt like I needed to get into bed by 10. And then I watched TV. I played a little Mahjong and then lights were out by 11. Um, as opposed to like watching TV in the living room till 1030, 1045, then starting my bedtime routine. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. that yes, was I like do. a shift. Um, so I'm, I'm really making an effort to put my phone away, be in my bedroom by 10 o'clock. And like, I, I feel like I'm allowed to watch TV in bed um, because that's not like getting on the internet or texting or, you know, um, but there was one night that I'm thinking about in the last few days where I just stayed up way too late. Like it wasn't, it was probably close to midnight when I finally fell asleep. But that like hour, that hour between 11 and 12, I feel like is crucial for me because I was like bone tired the next day. And I took a nap in Henry's playroom. Like Matt and I were both in the playroom with Henry and I just like curled up on the, the little nugget couch. And I was like, I'm just going to close my eyes. And like, next thing I know, I wake up, it's been it's been like half an hour. Oh. <laughs> um. So yeah, so I I really am trying to make an effort and that also means like putting away if I'm playing Animal Crossing, putting that away earlier, which is hard. Um so anyway, so this week I'm getting book edits back tomorrow from uh the editor that I'm working with before we submit it to my publishing house editor. So I am just going to be buckling down work-wise this week. And I'm thinking about taking my email off my phone. Yes, do it. Do it. So, yeah. I think that's going to I think happen. that would be good for you. I'm considering Ooh, I it. also... I'm considering also putting up an auto-reply. And this, this might... This, this borders on like like annoying. (laughs) So I don't know if I'm actually going to do it, but I'm considering putting up an auto reply that says, um, I'm on a book deadline. I'm checking my email once a day. So if I don't get back to you right away, that's why something to that effect, because I feel like now I check my email constantly and I respond immediately most of the time. And I feel like people expect a a quick response from me now. So I'm mm-hmm. considering just being like, I check my email every day at, I don't know, I'm making this up, 9 a.m. And like, that's when I respond to emails. So I don't know, I might do that. Stay tuned. I think you should do it. I think you should do it. I'll find out when I send you an email and you I get that reply and I will, will. be so proud. You will. <sighs> All right. Well, this episode was a journey. I just love that after doing this show with you for two and a half years, we're still learning new things about each other. Who knew you were a reality <laughs> TV fan? I, I'm, I honestly am 
a little blown away. Like, do I really know you at all? I don't know, Kate. Do you? I think I do. <laughs> yeah, I think I do. But I feel like, I feel like everything else I pretty much have a handle on. I am going to send but you. But that was a nice treat. I'm going to send you an interview that I did with Jill Zarin for the Daily Beast in 2010. And you tell me if I'm a, if I'm a reality television fan. Be my guest. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> All right. Listen, Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Dori Shafrir, and you, Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sammy Junio, and Sam Reed is our project manager. And we will talk to you all on Friday. We will. But can I just let our listeners know you have already texted me? <laughs> You've already texted the article. Yep. It, I'm, it came through. Right I'm efficient. <laughs> you truly, truly are A+. Plus. I give you an A+, plus oh, on efficiency, you, Dory. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. All right. Sorry for that little addendum. We'll talk to you (laughs) later. Okay. Bye.